Well, we're up to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And what a great chapter, or the first half of the chapter this is. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Wherever a tree falls, to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So your seeds in the morning and in the evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed. And it's one of those interesting passages you read and you reread it again and again. And you think, what can I possibly share from this passage? You know, it's pretty obvious if the clouds are full of water, it's going to rain. And if a big oak tree falls somewhere where it falls, no one's going to move it. It's going to stay where it is. And even the mystery of birth. We know through modern technology and modern doctors how birth comes about. But there's still a little bit of mystery that we don't know how God's spirit gets into the the new life, the new child that's born. And um, as I reflected on it, perhaps God is reminding us that, you know, clouds were here and clouds will rain again long before we've passed through this world. Perhaps it reminds us of God's faithfulness, his steadfast purpose to the world and our lives. And that's the highbrow stuff. The only thing I could think about was um, feeding the ducks when it came to casting your bread upon the water, which is probably the last time I cast my bread upon a pond or the water. And um, in the good old days, you're allowed to um, feed the ducks bread. I'm not so sure nowadays. You have to think of the environmental impact, how it's going to affect their feeding patterns. Gone are the days, the excitement, we can take your bag of bread down by the, uh, by the lake or the pond and the ducks would swim over in anticipation. Even if you didn't um, have any bread, they would still come expecting to be fed. And I don't know about you, but when I used to feed the ducks, I used to look at the ducks. I used to get the big ones that raced to the front and the ones on the outside that didn't get a look in. So I tried to throw my bread equally amongst them all. And they even time it so the big ducks had swum away and I could feed some of the smaller ducks. But sometimes it didn't always work. However hard I tried to be equal and generous with my um, bread for the ducks, you couldn't guarantee where you threw your bread, it would reach its mark. Sometimes you just have to cast your bread upon the waters and hope for the best. But it begs the question, what is our bread Where are our waters? Where do we go to get fed? Another translation of this passage is from the um, Living Bible translation. It says, send your grain across the seas and and in time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places. For you do not know what risks 
might lie ahead. We live in a very risk and risk-averse society. And these uh, verses remind us that we need to send, or the, the teacher's trying to say, send your grain off to different places. You might get some sales. It might work, it might not work, but spread the risk. And in the modern world, we call it uh, uh, portfolio management. Buy some shares in ice cream and buy some shares in umbrellas and depending on the weather, you might make some money. You need a few other ones in between to make sure you don't lose all of your money. Um, But the idea is there. Spread the risk. Try and reduce the risk of what you're trying to do. That's something we try and do today. We even have a, a risk statement in our annual accounts where we have to look at the risks that face this church. And we try to live and set those risks based on biblical perspectives, on biblical principles. So when you uh, read the church accounts, they're not as boring as they seem. Remember that you're reading from Ecclesiastes, reducing our risks. But I read on this uh, a commentary and it said, it's almost certainly about this. And I love the words, don't you? Almost certainly. If there was a frozen lake and someone said, well, I'm almost certain that if you walked across it, the ice wouldn't give way and you won't fall in, would you still do it? We like... (laughs) No, probably. We want to know about certainty. We want to minimise all the risks in life. But we can't always do that. Sometimes we just have to step out in faith And God doesn't want us to be in the place where we won't take a step of faith for him, where he can't meet us along the way, where he can't act in wonderful ways in our lives. And we wouldn't be in this building if we hadn't risked it all for God. But trusting in God, is that really a risk? The God that loves us because he loves us? But coming back to the ducks... You'll have this stuck in your mind for a while, I guess. Um, I was born an optimist. For me, the cup is always half full. Something will always turn up. And if I knock the half-filled cup over with my foot, I pray that it might rain and I'll stand there and it'll get filled up again. Something always comes up. And I guess, for me, there's always this tension between the optimist and the pessimist trying to feed ducks or cast our bread upon the water. The, best, the pessimist says, let's wait a few days until the right climate conditions are there. The wind is blowing in the right direction. We know that there's going to be ducks on the pond. That the bread is at its optimal dryness so it will float as far as possible across the pond or the lake. Cast some bread upon the lake a little each day. Stretch it out. See what happens. But the optimist thinks... There's always another loaf. There's always going to be someone else behind me that will feed them. Give it to them all now. The optimist sees the pessimist as too slow, depressing, whilst the pessimist sees the optimist as reckless and too impulsive. And I guess the ducks may be a bad example of this, but we are in Ecclesiastes, so anything goes. And I guess somewhere there's a balance between the pessimist and the optimist. 
and it's singing the melody of wise living. The teacher reminds them, send your ships, invest. Send them out across the waters. See what price you can get for your seed. He doesn't say, play it safe, leave your ships in the harbour in the hope that you can sell all that God has blessed you with locally. He says, take a risk. And some things won't work out in life when we take risks. And some things will. But the key is not to let fear hold you back. Feed the ducks whilst they are near. So what is our bread? What are our waters that God is calling us to? And another commentator said these verses or the first few verses aren't really talking about water at all. What they're talking about is the water's edge. How we can plant seed along the edge of a river. And in theory you can sow seed on river waters and the, when, the tide, when the water recedes the, the, the seeds float down and they, and they germinate in the soil. So I'm led to believe anyway. But what we do know is areas around the Nile... When the Nile floods, it leaves a layer of rich, fertile soil. And when the water recedes in the warmer seasons, they do plant crops alongside the Nile. And they harvest them before the winter rains come again. And at the church meeting, we were looking at the soil of this church. How do we cultivate it? How do we encourage young people to stay within church? And maybe we need to go through that washing of the river, that God is preparing the soil of our hearts, the soil of this church, to plant fresh seeds of hope, love, in our lives, in this church and across this town. The message has another view on this passage. It says, be generous, invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods, spread them around. Be a blessing to others. Contribute to the gift day. No, sorry, that's not in there. Um, (laughs) This could be your last night. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows a tree, it lies where it falls. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Ian reminded us last week about seizing the day, carpe diem. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you for life. And back to the passage. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of life forming in a pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work in all God does. Go to work in the morning, stick at it till evening without watching the clock. You never know from, one, from moment to moment how your work will turn out in the end. I guess it's saying don't try to outthink God. Just be generous. Just use all that God has blessed us with. And we are a loving and blessed and generous church to the communities that we live in. However, this sermon title that Ian gave was Wise Living. And I think the L from our value statement sums up this passage for me. The L of lifestyle. 
It says we'll be good stewards of our time, our talents and our possessions. This passage speaks to me how we cast those upon the waters. How do we use our time? How do we use our talents, our possessions? I can't tell you how to use them, but you need to spend time listening to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you in the best use of your time. And so I've, the conclusion I've come to is that bread referred to here nowadays could be referring to the gifts that God so freely gives us all as individuals and as a church. The waters may be the church, the community, the world that we live in. How we matter, or how we live in this life matters to God. There is still a mystery in God's word though, isn't there, of how it's all going to work out. There are no guarantees for life apart from God's love. And apart from also the promises of God's word. We've already stung that we stand on the promises of God's word. And there are some promises in this book, in God's word. These are just a few. He has given us every spiritual blessing. He has given us all authority to make disciples within this world. And God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And as surely as rain comes from the clouds, God's promises are true. So what gifts has God given us? Here's just a sample from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To the one there is given the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are at work, or all these are the work of the, of the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. How good are we at using all of God's gifts in this church We excel in some, but I guess some would frighten us. And so therefore we only scratch the surface of them. I guess fear holds us back from the ones or the gifts that we don't truly understand. But all God's gifts are given for the building of the church. But how do we grow in our spiritual gifts? How do we find a place where we can grow in what God is calling us to do? Things might go wrong. Things might not work out as expected. But if we're truly standing on God's word, then he calls us into new places, into new adventures. But the reality is some gifts appear more acceptable. If I was to start speaking in tongues, which I will do one day, I mean, I can I don't know. I'd, I'd really love to do it. And, uh, and in my prayer life, I do it, but I don't think it's right to do it 
in church up the front. But I'm growing in that understanding. And I may be labelled as one of those, those strange people because I do try and grow in those gifts. But David uh, Noakes in the first service made the point that when God gives us gifts, he doesn't give them in contrast to our personalities. He will never give us a gift or call us to do something that against what God has already created us to be, the place where we get joy in exercising God's gifts. If I'm honest, I quite like to swap some for worship because I really love to worship, but I can't sing a note. And when I get to heaven, that won't really mind because we all get a new voice. But, you know, sometimes we just have to accept that we can't be an eye, we all can't be a foot, we all can't be a hand. We have to be where God has arranged by his Spirit to be the people that that he's called us to be, the way he's arranged his gifts for this church. But it doesn't need to be dramatic. It could be just older people talking to younger people, reassuring parents that you can get through the teenage years and there's light at the end of the tunnel. They do come back to us in the end. Or it could be just being a good friend or being a good mum. And in this week, it could simply be an act of bravery. Someone said we shouldn't focus on the person that commits an atrocity. We should focus on the people that help, those that selflessly put their lives on the line, those that go to help without a second thought, because that's compassion in action. And I've had the and I um, spent a couple of days up in Westminster, the early part of this week, um, at a humanitarian aid conference, the largest in Europe, and they're debating about how they can fix the problem of 65 million people displaced in the world, the challenges of famine in Africa, exploitation of women around the world. And they talked about it and they're throwing billions of pounds at it, but they haven't really got a clue, just like Ecclesiastes. Whatever they were talking about, it seemed like that they were chasing after the wind. Because none of them really actually mentioned God and how God can intervene. And that was until the last keynote speaker. Her name was uh, uh, Lima Gabawi. And she'd won the Nobel Peace Prize. And this is just a brief background to her. In a time of death and terror, Lima Gabawi brought Libya's women together. And together they led a nation to peace. As a young woman, Lima Gabawi was broken by the Libyan civil war. A brutal conflict that tore apart her life and claimed the lives of countless relatives and friends. Years of fighting destroyed her country and shattered Gabawi's girlhood hopes and dreams. As a young mother trapped in the nightmare of domestic violence, She found the courage to turn her bitterness into action, propelled her realisation that it is women who suffer the most during conflicts, and that the power of women working together can create an unstoppable force. In 2003, the passionate and charismatic Gabawi helped organise and led the Liberian Mass Action for Peace, a coalition of Christians and Muslim women who sat 
in public protests, confronted Libya's ruthless president and rebel warlords, and even had a sex strike. With an army of women, Kabawi helped lead her nation to peace, and the process emerging, and in the process emerging as an international leader who changed history. Mighty be our powers is a gripping chronicle of a journey from hopelessness to empowerment that will touch all who dream for a better world. She shared that she started this peace movement with five or six mums, women getting together with $10 in their purse and they changed the nation. And And I think sometimes we can forget that whatever faith you're from, we still face the same enemy. And it's the fight that we have to fight with all that God gives us. And her key message was this, simply don't get lost in the numbers, don't get lost in how many millions are displaced or how many millions end up as refugees in different countries, but focus on the people. Focus on those that need our help the most, that we can help where we are. Use prayer to change things. And I'm going to finish today on a prayer that Sue shared at the um, church meeting by Sir Francis Drake. Prayer is a gift that we can all use. And the prayer time over there that people go to is a place where we can just ask God to help us with a mystery of life, a place of peace and strengthening, not a place of weakness that we go to when we're in trouble, although we can use it for that. So what are your waters? What are the gifts that God is asking you to cast upon the waters of life this week? Trusting in God that he will meet you along the way. So shall we pray? Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true, because we, haven't, because we have dreamed too little, when we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to shore. Disturb us, Lord, when, with the abundance of the things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your majesty, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope and love as we cast our bread upon the waters. Amen.